I like to think the last thing that went through his head, other than that bullet, was to wonder how the hell Andy Dufresne ever got the best of him. Carter, James. Not long after the warden deprived us of his company, I got a postcard in the mail. It was blank, but the postmark said Fort Hancock, Texas. Fort Hancock, right on the border. That's where Andy crossed. When I picture him heading south in his own car with the top down, it always makes me laugh. Andy Dufresne, who crawled through a river of shit and came out clean on the other side. Andy Dufresne, headed for the Pacific. Hadley's <laughs> got him by the throat, right? Those of us who knew him best talk about him often. I swear the stuff he pulled. Sometimes it makes me sad, though. And to being gone, I have to remind myself that some birds aren't meant to be caged. Their feathers are just too bright. And when they fly away, the part of you that knows it was a sin to lock them up does rejoice. But still, the place you live in is that much more drab and empty that they're gone. I guess I just miss my friend. My next guest has played Death, an expert in Tai Chi, and if you're fortunate, you may be able to have share a few suds on the rooftop with him. Please welcome the incredibly talented, legendary William Sadler. Bill, thanks so much for being on the show today. You're very welcome. It's great to be here. You know, and, and I'm, I was looking at your Twitter account, and one of the funny things, that one of the quotes you have is, yeah. it says, that guy you know from that movie. I have to say, if somebody doesn't know you or your work, they, they, can't, they can't consider themselves a real movie fan. I, that's the way I feel about it. No, I think I'm, I guess I'm pretty well known in the, um, uh, you know, within the business or among, among diehard movie fans by now but i do but i i still fly under the radar somewhat you know i can go to grocery stores and uh, you know walk down the street and people, I, go, I you know i go places all the time and hear people say um you look so familiar are you uh did I go to school with you? <laughs> you know, so, yeah, so I, I, I get I mean, that. Part, part of that has to do with the fact that I'm, I, you know, I guess they would categorize me as a character actor because I play, you know, because I create characters when I work. Um, and sometimes they, they, you know, they look different one from another. But, yeah, certainly, it's certainly diverse, you know, going through your filmography, you've done it all. And that's, that's, that's certainly a, a compliment to your abilities. And I have to say, you know, you strike me as somebody that has a great sense of humor, which is always refreshing. But the one thing my research, Bill, when I was going through all this that really kind of popped off the, the pages is that yeah. you really love what you do. And, and, and people are like, well, duh, obviously. Well, it's not always it's not always obvious because I interview people that like I, I interview people that like do, you know, are actors or, or, or whatever they do, athletes or whatever. And sometimes it's like. Yeah, I do my scene, I, I and then I'm done. I move on. Like I feel like you just you love what you do, and it's just when you research somebody like that, it's just it's it's just it's a compliment to, to your I don't I don't know the right word. It's it, it's nice to see, I guess. 
Well, thank you. Yeah. I, it, it's true. I do. Uh, um, I've always loved acting. I mean, I th- there was a, I guess there was a period of time when, uh, when I was just starting out, when I took it, uh, I took myself pretty seriously. I was, you know, um, I fretted over things and, and made myself miserable. And if I didn't get the part, I would get furious at myself or at the casting people or, you know, um, and, you know, eventually I guess I, the, my better angels won out. I, uh, I began to relax, but I've always enjoyed, I've always loved the acting part of it. The business, the business end of it can be frustrating and boring and, you know, right. But the, but once, once you're, once you're on the set or once you're on the stage and you begin the process of creating and interacting and the scene starts to crackle and lift off the page and become, you know, you can feel it. You, everybody, everyone in the room can feel it when it's, when it's starts to, it starts to take on a life and, and it's just joyous. It's really, you know, that's really, that's exciting and it's still exciting, you know? And, and, yeah. uh, and, and the funny thing is the, I find now as I'm, uh, you know, I've been doing this so long. That happens more and more and more. I, uh, um, I think I'm uh, a better actor than I was when I used to worry about it quite so much. Right, and you kind of like let things fall where they do. And I have to say, you've been for people that when they hear this, and you've been so good for so long. But one of the things you don't get credit for, maybe I'm just looking too hard at the screen. I feel like you you've been in phenomenal shape for a long time. I'm I feel like I'm like he's in fantastic shape, right? We go to Die Hard too. I know. Is that is that like is that just kind of a result of something you purposely do or Well, I'm not in, I'm not in quite that shape now. Um gra- gravity thou art a cruel mistress. Um no, when I did Die Hard 2. Well, that's a and that's a that's a great perception too because I was cast in Die Hard 2 when I first got to Los Angeles, and I had already done about 11 years of theater, including Broadway, a year and a half on Broadway. So I had I had done an awful lot of acting already, I mean, professionally. Um, but I hadn't... I think Die Hard 2 was like the third movie that I did. And there was no nude scene in it when I took, when I took the role. Um... It just said a man doing Tai Chi in a hotel room. And uh, uh, I actually didn't find out about the nude scene until the costume fitting. Uh, Rennie Harlan, the director, was there. And we tried on all the different costumes, you know, for different, you know, his uniforms and his this and that. And we finished up and I said, well, well what's, he, what's he wearing in the hotel room scene? And, uh, and Rennie Harlan said, well, actually, Bill, I was hoping that you would be nude. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought, and that was the first I heard of it. Um, and I thought about it for a minute and I said, I wasn't in terrible shape, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in shape to, they're gonna, you're going to, your bare ass is going to hang out in the biggest summer blockbuster action movie God. of the year of the year. Yeah. You know, this is the sequel to die hard. Um, 
and uh, everyone on the planet's going to watch this. And uh, so I said, get me in, get me a trainer and get me into a gym and push that scene off to the end of the filming and I'll do it for you. Wow. That's awesome. And they, and, uh, and that's what they did. So I, 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 I lived in the gym when I wasn't filming. I was in the gym with a trainer and, um, you know, and that was the results. And I, I, I was pleased with, I was in the best shape ever. But that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like even over the course of <laughs> that was that was that was a lot of meals ago. Yeah, that's true. But I get that. But like over the course of your career, and I get gravity. Believe me, I get gravity. And but like I feel like you've always kind of had this. Just maybe it's something I'm looking too hard at. But I feel like yeah, you definitely have kept this. You know, even if we can go Green Mile, other movies. You, you've just been in great right. shape, and that, right. that's a testament to yourself. And you mentioned your Broadway work, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. I just think this is where your work ethic and, you know, your love for acting just screams. I mean, was it 11 to 12 years off Broadway? Do I have that right, Bill? Yeah. That's well, amazing. Uh, re- well, regional theater and um, Trinity Square Repertory Company and the um, the Long Wharf Theater and off-Broadway and, on, and finally on-Broadway with Biloxi Blues. Um and it's, and it's actually, it's a, it shaped my, it shaped my career in an interesting way because, um, when you work in the theater, you, you, you can't be late for work and right. you can't, you can't not know your lines. Um, you know, there, all the other actors are counting on you being, you know, carrying your, your end of things. And if you're, and if the audience, if anything's going to happen in that theater, it'll be because you and your fellow performers made it happen right in front of their eyes, eight times a week. You know, you right. you pick this use from the curtain goes up for those two hours or whatever it is. There's no one can yell cut. Um, you can't go back and do it over. You either you either hit it or you don't hit it. And I'd say it's the only advice I ever give young actors is do some theater, get, get as much theater under your belt as you can, because, um, because once you get to the world of television and movies, um, there isn't time to rehearse. Um, you're not going to get a month of rehearsal. Um, and the editors are going to, take over and the directors and the cinematographers and you're going to do, you know, it, the process gets cut up into little tiny pieces. Um, you're not going to get a chance to flex those muscles, uh, the way you do in the, in the theater. And I think it's just, I think it's very important for the work ethic for, you know, show up ready to work. So, you know, can you, can, can you pull it out of your butt at, three in the morning after you've been waiting 13 hours. Right. Um, well, yeah, you right. can. <laughs> yeah, and there's anyway, something, there's, there's so something, I'm, a, I'm yeah. a big fan of theater. Yeah. There's something just really authentic and genuine about it because I've, I had an, I've had many actors on, but the one that I think of when I always think of theater is Austin Pendleton. I want to say yeah. he might be in his, 80, I, I don't know, I'm not going to put a number, but he's still doing theater, so I feel like 
when that from from somebody who's not an actor looking at unbelievably talented actors like you and Austin, I feel like when you get bit by the theater bug, it's something that really never goes away. Right. You know, it's something that stays with you. Well, like, well, it's because you, I mean, it really is a tightrope. You're out there without a net, you know. You can't go back and start the scene again. <laughs> that is that is uh, terrifying. Like, I mean, you got to, you know, you can't have a headache. You can't, you can't have had a fight with your wife. You got to, you know, you you just have to. It, it just, it's all on you, and it's all on your fellow actors. Um, get to the theater early enough. You got to be warmed up. You can't spend the first act warming up to do the play. You have to warm up before you hit the stage, right, right, and right. and so on. So this, it's just a, it's a great tra- for actors anyway. This is my opinion. I just think it's a great training. It's just great training because you work all of those muscles. You know, uh, eight shows a week. Um, you learn to show up with your bag of tricks and your bag of tools, and um, you know, and. And make something happen over and over and over and over again. And when you, by the time you get to the, if, if you don't have that sort of thing, if you don't get that sort of training uh, and you just start your television career, maybe you'll work one day in February and then, you know, on a show and then you'll get a, a couple days in June um, on another show. Um, you're auditioning here and there, but it's hard to get good at anything if they won't let you do it. No, and, and that's really well. Yeah, that, that, and that's really well said. And, and I got to say, after three or four years, maybe five years of doing this, Bill, I have to say the one thing that I've learned, you know, just talking to actors is if I if somebody said, well, you know, I'm starting acting, what would you recommend for somebody who's interviewed many actors? I would say exactly what you're saying. I don't know how you. I mean, you can do it, obviously, but. I don't know how you can be an actor and not have any theater background. Like, I feel like it's everything you're saying. And and the idea of operating without a net is the best teacher to me, it would seem. Right. You know? I think so. I I, I think so. I mean, and it takes, it's not that theater, you know, acting on stage has, has the, the camera, working for a camera is a slightly different, um, it's a slightly different kind of acting. It took me it took me the first two or three movies to get to to figure out that they were trying to take my picture, you know. Right. Um and and you know, learning how to dance with the camera guys so that give give them what they need and um but but still I think so much of the um I don't know. You can. You just learn a lot, and uh, by doing, and, and a much lesser. You know, I'm going to be bouncing over topics here for a little bit. I have to say, yeah. you're part of a very exclusive club. You have your own action figure um, as death. <laughs> so that's got to feel pretty cool, right? That's pretty swell. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that is. And before, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's like an honor, right? That's just fantastic to have your. Own, I mean, just the idea of it, in, in, in the nerdiest way possible. I like. I love that. I know that's that's pretty sweet. That uh, came as a surprise to me too. And, and for those listening, um, just going over your your career here, and I'm, I'm not going to have you, you know, go over, you know, your early roots. I mean, born in Buffalo, New York. Um, 
you know, you, you, you have a love for dad and his love for music. Um, he, you know, there's this, you know, you start off, um, there's a, and, and please correct any of this if I'm wrong. Um, you have in high school, there's a, I want to say a talent show where you, right. you, you, you play the banjo, you do a little stand up, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, talk yes. about those early days a little bit. I would say, I got, I guess I was trying to get on stage. I didn't know how. Right. I, was, I, I did a, I used to do a stand-up act because banjo Bill Sadler and I told jokes and, uh, and played the banjo. Um, but I was, and music was always a part of it too. I'd always, um, I was in a folk band and then I was in a garage band and we played around, you know, high school dances and battle of the bands and, um, anything we could play anything with three chords, you know, like Louie Louie. Right. Um, and, uh, classic. Yeah. Right. And, uh, um, so I guess I was, I, I, I guess I was fishing around for what it was, you know, what I was going to do. I really didn't have a, I didn't have a, a clear idea until, um, an English teacher named Dan Larkin in high school suggested I try out for the school play, which was Harvey. And I got the lead in that, um, and it was very, it was very successful. I was I'm not sure how I knew how to do all of that, but, um, which led to another, a second play, uh, uh, with the Amherst players called the subject was roses. And that was a, uh, Pulitzer prize winning drama, a little three person drama, father, mother, and their son, who's just come back from the war. Um, it's the play that launched Martin Sheen. Oh, okay. Broadway. Okay. Um, and I got that role and played it and, it began to dawn on me that there was this whole universe of really, really good writers um, examining human behavior. You, you know, our 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 weaknesses and our our humor and our and it was I was uh, I was getting hooked. And the director of that said to me um, one day, "What do you?" planning to do after this where are you going to college and i said i had been accepted at buff state because my brother went to buff state so i just i had i wasn't a very good student i didn't have good grades and uh but i got in there and i was going to be an industrial arts teacher of all things and i thought well maybe i'll do that and you know audition for the plays at Buff State while I'm an industrial arts student and uh, he he had he had just graduated from Geneseo State University College at Geneseo and he said let me make a <laughs> let me make a phone call and he called the head of the drama department at Geneseo and and a week later he drove me down there to meet the head of the drama department and I was accepted, and that's. I went there for four years and did play after play after play after play. Um, yeah, and, and I've heard you. You know, there was two names I was going to throw at you before you mentioned one of them. One of them was obviously Dan Larkin. The other one was Karen Ray. Two two different. You know, oh, yeah. uh, two two different <laughs> points of your career. But you know, what is it about Dan? What, what did he do for you? You know what. What was it that? Is it just his belief in you that he noticed how you know the, the potential talent there? Bill, what is it about him that really kind of, 
that, that, that you, because I've heard you mention him before, so he clearly had a had a huge impact on you. Well, he was one of those. I have I have a tremendous tremendous respect for people in the teaching profession. I think they're I think they're so underrated. Um, every once in a while, in almost everyone's life, there's a, a teacher. If you're lucky, um, there's someone like Dan Larkin was who who sees something in a, in one of his students and and points to a door, you know, a little encouragement, just a little. Guidance, just a little encouragement. Why don't you try this? I think you'd be great at it. And he was an English teacher in my high school, um, but he but he saw he saw what no one else had seen. Um, you know, in this kid who kept trying to get up on stage <laughs> in all of these various <laughs> these various um, you know ways. And and then when after I did the play with him, he's the one who encouraged me to try out for the subject was roses, he, the, the this community theater play. He said, "Why don't you go? Uh, why don't you go see how that goes?" And and I was was really lovely. Was years later, I did um, Julia. I played Julius Caesar with Denzel Washington. Wow! Um, on Broadway, um, and. Dan Larkin, who had retired by then, his daughters brought him from Orchard Park, New York, where I grew up, down to New York City to see the show, to see me play Julius Caesar on Broadway. Wow. And we went out afterwards and had lunch. And, and I got a chance to thank him uh, all those years how later. How special is that, Bill? That is that that was, is. I, Jesus. It was just lovely. It was really, it was really, really nice. But every once in a while, there was, you know, these there are these people who, um, if you're lucky, there are these people who see something in a student and say, "Have you ever thought of being a, you know, a writer? Or have you ever thought of being a, um, you know, an athlete? Or you know." You should. Why don't you try this and see how that works? And so, anyway, I was yeah, fortunate. I was fortunate enough that someone, someone pointed to that door, and I went through it and never looked. You know, I never. I just never stopped after that. Yeah, and so speaking of students, right? You mentioned that you know you weren't a great student in high school. So how difficult? I mean. There's a lot of reasons for why people aren't good students, right? But for you personally, how difficult was it, you know, moving forward, going to Cornell, great school, phenomenal school, getting your MFA, not an easy degree to get. Was that tough for you because you weren't a great student or were you not a great student because you just, you know, you didn't care? How tough was that? How tough was that for you? <laughs> the, <laughs> the, I, I was really good at stuff that I was interested in. Okay. Um, if I wasn't interested, it was really it was like pulling teeth to get me to, gotcha. you know, okay. I've never been great at math and, you know, but I, but, but what I, I was, a, but I was a drama major at, at Geneseo. And after four years of the, during the last year, I auditioned for, uh, all these res these, uh, um, um, MFA programs and Cornell, uh, offered a full scholarship, and wow. in their in their acting program, wow, it was an acting, it was an MFA in acting. So, uh, you know, I didn't have to write term papers, and I, it was it was supposed to be a professional training uh, situation. 
and so I did that for two years. Um, so that's that's I mean yeah, and the MFA I feel. Do you feel like the MFA served you well moving forward? I mean, I know we we know how you feel about theater. Did you feel like the M- MFA was comparable as far as harnessing your ability, giving you that you know <clears throat> what you needed to to do moving forward, or or did you ever regret it going for your MFA? I've sometimes it's funny. I've wondered sometimes whether what would have happened if I'd just gone, you know, jumped right in after college, just after undergraduate, and just gone run away and gone to New York or um, or gone to Los Angeles. But instead of taking taking the time, but I no, I don't regret it. Um, it um, Maybe that was a bad word. No, not not regret. No, I think it. I think it gave me it. It. it it maybe gave me more confidence, you know. Okay. okay. Um, I don't. I don't think I've ever gotten a job because I have an MFA. Yeah, that's kind think, of the. Hindrance. I don't think anybody anybody looks at that and says, "Oh, we should cast him because he, he <laughs> he's he, got his MFA. He, he's, he does have an MFA." <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and, and jumping, but you know, but it, but maybe it, you know, it gave me some, you know, uh, a hand, a, an even better handle on my on my craft. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So, so moving, we're jumping around a little bit here. You know, moving forward, yeah. you're also blessed in the sense that not blessed, but you're 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 one of the very few that's not only you're in the Marvel universe with Iron Man three and the Star Trek universe, and that's kind of not many people can say that they're in both of those, and that's a huge thing in 2020. I feel like, don't you? Don't you feel like it's you know it's a big thing? It's a it's a big deal. I'm 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 thrilled. I'm I, both of those came as a surprise. I was offered the role in Deep Space Nine. I didn't audition for it at all. They just uh, they called up my agents and offered me the Luther Sloan role in Deep Space Nine, and I jumped at it. I thought I was thrilled because I'd been watching Star Trek for years and and. Um, I love that. I as a, I mean, I was a kid. In the Star Trek stuff was was huge in my life, um, and I thought I was just really proud. I, I love the idea of being part of that universe, part of that. You know, Star Trek has become kind of part of the fabric of of our culture. Yeah, um, it's it's so uh, interwoven with who we are as a nation now that to be. Um, to be a part of it, even in a small way, was uh, was honor. It was like, I found I felt honored to to do it. So so speak, you know, and speaking of like college, because you and I have been talking about college, I want to say in in 1994, I, I go see this movie, and I was I was with some roommates, and I have to tell you, we went to go see you know Shawshank. By the end right. of that movie, and I'm sure you've heard one million of these stories. Um, I have to tell you. I had to go to the bathroom. I like I jetlined to the bathroom right at the end of the movie. I don't think I've ever cried and been moved so hard in my life. I proceeded to see it four more times that weekend. So I'm one of the few people that can say the name didn't deter me from going to see the movie. You know, I I, I wasn't swept up in the VHS craze. Like I was there opening night, and I'm kind of proud of that. Wow. But I got to tell you, it, it's I don't and, and I, I hate sounding over the top because it sounds fake. But I I feel like it's. I don't want to say religious experience because that's so ridiculous, but <laughs> but it's pretty goddamn close to what that. I, I've never felt the darkest of dark and then 
been so lifted up emotionally, Bill. I, I, I've never in my life to this day, and I see everything after our conversation, I'm going to see 1917. I have never seen anything like this in my life. You know, I just feel there's something there that can never be duplicated. What is it? Can you put your finger on it? Because I'm going to get into your character one, but is there, is there something there that, because I, I, I have no words for it. It's just, it's like, all you can say to people is just, just watch it and, and you'll get it. I don't, I, I don't know that I can sum it up specifically. That's, it's a, there's a, it's, it's a story about hope. Uh, a man who's lost, who's really lost, in a in a completely hopeless uh, situation, who who never get who finally when you know that line get busy living or get busy dying by the time by the time he uh, Andy Dufresne is at that has reached that point in his life. Um, you know, that's when you'd expect him to quit and, you know, say, hey, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And he doesn't. Um, I just think the, it's a redemption. It, he, he, we get, re, we get redeemed somehow. Because uh, in the beginning, for the longest part of the film, for the, all through the beginning of the film, he keeps saying he didn't do it, but everybody says they didn't do it, you know, and you don't know. <laughs> yeah, your, 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 your character makes that clear, yeah. You're set up You're set up as an audience to think, well, you know, I saw him loading a gun. I saw him, you know, he was drunk. Uh, they're dead. Yeah. I saw the, I saw the trial, you know. Um, if... Uh, I don't really understand it. There's some, whenever I speak to Frank about it, Frank Darabont, the right. director, he says, uh, he says, I think we just caught lightning in a bottle. Um, yeah, it, it was, uh, and it's, and it's fascinating too, because I don't know if you know this part of the story. It's probably, <clears throat> it's probably well known, but, they were doing. There were table reads at one point. Tom Cruise was going to do it. Wow. Rob um, Reiner was going to direct it. I think Rob Reiner wanted to direct it. He offered Frank two million dollars or something to said, "Give me the movie. I'll direct it." Because I think because Tom Cruise didn't want to work with Frank. Frank had never directed much before that, and and Frank didn't want to use Tom Cruise because it was. You know, he he didn't want it to be a, a star vehicle. He wanted it to be an ensemble. Right. And they and they deliberately went out and cast theater actors. Every single one of those actors on that in Shawshank has a huge theater uh, background, and, and part of that has to do with how you get an ensemble and not a, you know. It's it's not Tim Robbins and then there's everybody else or Morgan Freeman and then everybody else. It's uh, it's an ensemble telling this story, um, and I think that's I think that's part of the reason that the movie works the way it works. It, it, I can't ima- I can't imagine it have, having been 
you know, if it had been Nicolas Cage instead of Tim Robbins or I think he wanted to do it and Charlie Sheen wanted to do it. And lots of people were sort of fishing around for it. Yeah. And, and, but, and I can't even imagine anything being different. Like was, everything's like, cause I have to it's say, one, go ahead. I'm like, try, try to change. Yeah, exactly. It's try to imagine a, a different face or, you know, yeah, I don't. I don't think I could picture t- Tom Cruise crawling through that tunnel. I just, I, I, I couldn't. But he's a phenomenal actor. But just not, yeah. not for this, not for this. But I, you know, I remember at the end of that week, and I had seen it four times. I got home and I just, I, I just wrote a letter. I poured my heart out just to say thank you to Frank, because you mentioned Frank earlier. Like, thank you for like, like it, at the time I was going through a lot of adversity. It was a very difficult time, and I just yeah. said thank. I just poured my heart like thank you for for everything. And I, I just kind of was detailed. Like two months later, and I sent the letter off to Castle Rock. Two months yeah. later, I get the I get a package in the mail, and I never asked for anything. Frank sends me an autographed script, an autographed VHS tape, a Christmas card. It's like I was not expecting it. When I saw that, I swear oh to God, God, Bill, I almost passed out. I'm like, <laughs> my girlfriend at the time I gave this to her. I said, "Did you do this?" Like I couldn't believe it. Uh, oh, that's that's a wonderful story. Yeah, and, and I gotta say, Frank obviously sees the, the the potential in you because from Tales of the Crypt, he says, "Look, I, I'm shooting this movie." Um, yeah, and, and and he's not somebody who does things. I feel like on a whim, right? It's not a coincidence that he brings you most in most of his projects. Same to some degree with Jeffrey DeMoney. he brings you right. guys along because he knows what he wants. But so, like when he says that to you, hey, I, I have this idea about this movie. Are you like, yeah, yeah whatever, yeah, I'll go for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's going to be great, right? Actually, I did. When he came up to me on the set of uh, of Tales from the Crypt, I, had, I, I did the first episode of Tales from the Crypt, the TV show, and he was one of the writers on that show, and he came up to me. Um, I stopped by the set to visit somebody, and he came over and said, I'm going to do this movie. It's called Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, and I'd love you to be in it. And Frank, and act, I mean, I was I was flattered, but the truth is almost everybody in Los Angeles is has a movie that they're pitching, um, and they're trying to attach actors, you know. It's like that's how you get your movie made, as you, you, say, you know, say, oh, you know, Liam Neeson wants to do it. <laughs> and then you can get money for it. So I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, whatever. And he sent me, what he sent me was the, uh, the anthology, uh, different seasons. It's, I think it's called the yes. Stephen King anthology to read. He didn't send me the script. Um, and I, I still have a, that book around here somewhere. Um, and then sure enough, like a, a couple years later, you know, there we were, he was going to make the movie, and and it was, uh, you know, it was it was going to happen. That that different seasons is one of the most. Un- I mean, in that same book, I believe is Stand by Me. That's correct. App pupil, like it. Th- there's three. Fin- I mean, Shawshank is beyond, <laughs> but it's it's amazing what's in that. Well, that's book. what that's what Rob Reiner said one day. He's who he said he had done Stand by Me. And had a huge success with it. I mean, you know, it was a, it was a great, great film. Um, and he's the very next story in the anthology is Shawshank. 
but he didn't see it. He, um, uh, I suppose he might, <laughs> he might have. <laughs> but, so, so yeah. I mentioned, I mentioned to you. You know, you know what, this, uh, and you know this that you know. I I think this movie saved a lot of lives of people who've been depressed and in a funk. You know, just appreciate a great movie. The, the 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 theme of hope and love and friendship and persevering. You know, I've heard Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman on occasion say that people go up to him and thank them. Have you experienced something like that? Have you have people said you know thank you for Haywood? Like because Haywood for for those listening, I mean, if you've been living in Iraq for the last forty years, Haywood I feel like drives the movie along a little bit. Because his, uh, not a little bit, a lot of it, because his sense of humor in the darkest of times, I feel like, gives the audience a chance to breathe a bit. And it's such a phenomenal role. You, your performance is epic, and I feel like it's completely underrated. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I find, I'm, I was, I, I don't think Haywood was written to be particularly funny. Um, I think that was, that was the humor that I brought, the humor that I brought to it. And some of that was, um, I, I didn't, um, you could, you, you could look at what he does in the film. He makes the bet and he gets fat ass killed. <laughs> yeah. Right? right, right, right off the bat. Right. Um, right. The very first thing he does is he, he wins all those cigarettes and then he says, what's, Hey, how's that horse of mine doing? You know? And, and, um, Morgan Freeman's son Alfonso uh, is the guy who stands up and says he's dead. Right. Um, and and then Tim Robbins says, uh, "What was his name?" And there's just this. It was. It's a decision that I made. I mean, I guess as an actor, but but uh, I don't think Haywood meant to kill him. Um, in fact, when he's when when uh, um, Hadley is coming down the corridor and he's going to beat the shit out of this kid uh, that I've just I've just gotten him to scream and I won the bet and Hadley's coming with a nightstick and he's going to and I started saying shut up shut up shut up mm-hmm. right um, that was I I sort of added that I wanted him. Um, you know, he could, he could easily have been a sort of shallow kind of a stereotypical hard, just a, a hard ass tough guy, uh, in prison. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted him to, I wanted him to have more colors than that. Um, and, and the story, he, had, he has, he has a bit of a stutter, right. which I thought softens him, um, which I added. That's what I'm saying. We talk about not changing things like those touches that you put on that character. I mean, it's, it's just so epic. Like we talk about, you know, we talked about the beginning scenes where he talks to red. He goes, what are you in for? He said, lawyer, fuck me. And then the horse apple scene. I mean, I don't, I still think I laugh at that for, for minutes after I've seen it, you know, the rope and, and obviously the epic scene where, 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 he, the live, yeah, yeah, the rope with with Brooks, and there's the the Count of Monte Cristo with Alexandria dumbass. Like right. the movie needs that there. It needs right. that. It needs those Although, moments. Otherwise, it's too heavy. It's, you got it, and people suffocate. Yeah. They, and, and my favorite, and, and what you brought, you talk about what you brought to a character, and this is one of my top three favorite scenes in the whole movie, and I've probably watched it more. I, I don't want to admit it because people will know that I have no life, but. <laughs> <laughs> but 
the rooftop <laughs> scene, the swa- oh. the swagger that Haywood has when he goes over to Andy, like it's like because they have a like a kind of a you mentioned the exchange early on where where you say like oh. what's it matter to you, but but then now it's like he brings him over a beer and it's like you know it's like a thank you for what you did for us. It's such a beautiful sweet moment, and I think it's then that people realize we're in for something special here. Wow. I remember the day we shot that, and I, I remember I do this little, I did this little wiggle uh, in my body when I, like, <laughs> um, that sort of gave me the feeling. It was, it's like, wow, we're dealing with a different kind of animal here. Yes, um, that was, uh, yeah. I remember, I remember vividly shooting that scene, shooting that, but they're little moments. Um, oh, what was I going to say? There was, uh, I, I feel the other thing is when, and this, this goes back to the theater. I've always felt as an actor that I have this sort of dial inside me and I can turn, I try to decide how intelligent a character is, how, what, what's the IQ of this character and when you're playing somebody like colonel stewart Mm. uh, a criminal genius or whatever he is you turn the dial way up because he can because he he knows what you're thinking he knows he's four moves ahead of you he knows what's going on behind him he knows what's going on behind you you're playing haywood you turn the dial down (laughs) and if you turn it down low enough you can only see what's right in front of you, and you're always so you become sort of like a puppy. You're all constantly surprised by what what's right in front of your face, and I think that's the um, it's part of the charm of the character. It become it's part of what makes him funny because he's always a half step behind everybody else. Um, you know, he's a <laughs> He's not the brightest. He's not the brightest guy there. Right. But, but, uh, but it, but it helps. It makes him. I think it makes him human, and it makes him funny. And that's. And that was a. And that was a conscious choice. Was deciding how how bright is this man. Um, yeah. Well, your touches on Haywood are are are, are perfect, and, and there's so many little right. ones. I, I try to notice and. You know, the one thing, the, the last moment, we talked about the rooftop, which I love. I love that swagger. But the one that I really love is when Red gets the postcard and he's, you know, emotional at the time. People are, tears are pouring down people's face at this time. You know, Haywood's at the table and he's reenacting. He's telling the story about the rooftop. He's like, it's such a special underrated moment because it's right before Red says some birds are meant to be caged. And here you are just... Telling the story about Andy like he's this legend, you know, it's right. it's such a just a, a moment that people just are smiling with tears streaming down their face. It's another <laughs> little touch you brought that really drives this narrative, you know. It was that was improvised. That whole that was improvised. That whole scene. Everybody that everybody around the table telling stories about wow about remember remember when he did this and remember when he did that and. And and yeah 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 oh and that's what no, I'm saying a, that's 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 what makes it work it's just amazing I'm, I interrupted you I'm sorry no no that's okay that's okay 
And I don't think any of us realized at the time that um, that audiences would would take it that, that that the film would go on to become what it what it's become. Um, I mean, I think we all knew it was a strong story, and a, and and we did it the best we could. But it opened and closed in the theaters in like under a month. It was it's, gone. It's disgusting. Uh, yeah, it, it just disappeared from the theaters. Disgusting. As part of that was the title, because you know what the hell is a Shawshank um, and a redemption, and then you find out oh, it's a three-hour prison movie, and people people shied away from it. It doesn't have any at the time. It didn't have any, you know, huge stars in it. Um, it didn't have Tom Cruise in it, so it wasn't going to have legs. Um, and then when it was uh, nominated for the Academy Awards, um, they put it back in the theaters, and you know, people began to discover it. I guess on VHS, but but yeah, that's where boom. And I have to say though, if if the the Academy Awards had to read the 1995 had to be redone again, uh, I loved Forrest Gump. I'm not knocking that in any way, shape, or form. I think Shawshank would have received the movie of the year and that if people kind of had to do it all over again but <laughs> but anyways one of the things that frank really doesn't get enough credit for and he's such a genius he's an absolute genius is his use of legendary actors so in green mile dabs greer and in shawshank james whitmore is so freaking these guys are legends and i think many people know that but frank's yeah. use of them is really i love to see that i love seeing that when it when it you know he brings back these legends that are just so phenomenal at their craft. Well, Frank is also a student of of the cinema. You know, he's he he has a great appreciation of these careers that have you know. Uh, James Whitmore had, you know, he'd already had a huge career by the time Shawshank came along. Right. Um. Uh, no, that was a brilliant piece of casting, and we all say, you know. We all were in awe of Whitmore. We all just sat around at his feet and listened to stories. And, you know, um, he was, he was, he was wonderful. He's, he makes it look easy too. Yeah. He makes it look really easy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you say, you say, okay, you're going to do a scene where you hang yourself. Um, You know, and there are lots of ways actors can approach this stuff. But uh, he just had such a deft touch. He just had such a sweet, um, yeah. Even and and when he puts the knife to Haywood's neck, uh, just as an actor, he was terrified. He was really, really, really worried. Whitmore was that he was going to poke me with the with the knife. You know, it was a real knife, but they had dulled it. They had dulled it down completely. You couldn't cut yourself with it if you tried to. But uh, he was just so gentle. We we had to coax him to hold on to me, and <laughs> he, he was just he was just uh, he was really worried that he was going to, you know, slip and and nick you know cut my neck or actually hurt me. He was just the sweetest guy on the planet. Yeah, and you know we speak of acting choices. What do you think? Because Frank clearly he brings you in the mist. He brings you in the Green Mile, which you're so good in. What is it about? Is it is it a comfort level? Is it that he knows that you know what? 
Uh, Bill's the guy for the job. I know he can get this done right. He can get it. Th- he, he can take my vision and make it kind of come alive. Is is that Frank's mentality? You think? I mean, it's hard for you to comment because you know you're you're on the receiving end. But do you think that's what it is? It's the confidence in your ability to go out there and just deliver. I think so. I I I, I think that is what it is. He has a it's a it's a it's a nice little rep company to be in. Yeah. Um, the people, the actors that Frank trusts, um, with these important moments in his films, you know that that it, you can't. Um, it, yeah, I think it is a comfort level. He knows there's, you know, you, he's going to get a certain level of performance that I'll that I I I can I'll bring I'll bring all of myself to the thing that. Um, that scene in uh, what I do in the Green Mile, uh, I've often thought that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Not um, mostly because at the t- at the time that we were filming it, I had we had just had our daughter. We our daughter was about the same age as the little girls that would get murdered. Right, and um, this character goes out on the porch and there's blood everywhere and the screen door has been cut and his daughters are gone. And I, I'm just trying to imagine the panic. Just, it's, it's, I don't know if you're a parent, but if you're, but there isn't anything more horrifying. The, the bottom just falls out of you. Um, and you have, I, I, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't sort of fake it. I heard, I sort of had to, you know, try to try to get into that place, um, and 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 feel and feel that a little bit because the camera doesn't. Camera can tell when you're faking. Mm. Um, you, you sort of have to cook it up, and I had to spend a couple days with one foot in that place where, you know, where I find, um, Michael Duncan with holding my two daughters, bloody bodies. And, uh, it was just hard. I remember thinking this, you know what I mean? I can't joke around with the crew and, and, you know, go eat a sandwich at craft service and then come over and just kind of knock off this scene. I sort of had to stay in that or, you know, keep that fire going. So that when they said action, it was there. Right. Um, um, but I, I remember thinking they're not paying me enough to feel like this. Yeah, um, and, I, and you just absolutely stole my my next question because I was going to ask you about Klaus <laughs> Dietrich. I swear to God, it's written right here because I was going to. There's a similar Brian Cranston in Breaking Bad was talking about. There's a scene where he has to. It's on YouTube for those of you listening. Um, where he he finds he he's he's. He kills this girl for, and I'll cut right to the point. And he had a he had a daughter the same age, and, and when he was making the scene, he said, "All I could see is her face, my daughter's face, right. in that scene." It's very similar to what you just said because right. yeah, I, I remember reading this that you have a, a daughter the same age, and right. here John Coffey is with two little girls in, in, in proximity to the same age as your daughter. I mean, how do you? How do you navigate through that? I mean, does that take? How do you decompress after that scene? Like that, 
that's got to be so tough. I mean, you mentioned, you know, you don't go to craft services. I mean, obviously, it's a scene you have to set up for. But does it linger with you for a little bit and you, you kind of have to shake it off a little bit? I mean, I mean, you know, you finally decompress and get, you know, get come back to the world and and. You know, you you have you do shake it off and and get on with your life and get on the phone and talk to your own daughter and you know get back get it on with your life. But for that little moment, for that for those few hours anyway, um, you sort of well, it's the it's what actors use. That's our our emotions are the raw. That's the that's the raw material. That's what uh, that's what we get paid to do. You know. And, and, and I, con, con, you know, conjure up these, conjure up these feelings, and and make them believable, and you know, let them push your character through the scene, the way we get pushed through our lives with our own emotions. You know, so. right? And, and I don't know if it was intentional because I knew we were going to speak today, and I was on the treadmill last night. And I was rewatching the Green Mile again, and one of the th- <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I saw. I don't know if it was intentional again. Or if it was a touch, or if it was, but like I would imagine seeing a man holding, you know, at the time everyone thinks he kills these two girls, and I was kind of studying on your character, and he's in such a rage to get to him and punch him in the face that like you fall a couple times, like you drop the shotgun. Is that something that was on purpose, or because like that's the way I feel people a father would be, like just so overcome with emotion that he just wants to go right at him. And, and, and falling down, getting like I, your your character kind of was so in a rage to get to him. He falls, he stumbles. Is that something that's improvised, or that just like kind of happened during the scene? Um, I, that just that just happened during the scene. That was wow. uh, you. I I don't know. Again, so it's sort of you 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 do this imagination game. You know, it's like what if it were? What if it were your daughter? You know how how fast would you run? How 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 fast would you be trying to get your hands on this son of a bitch that did this? Um, right. And all the while, the bottom of you is just falling out. Right. You know you you're. I mean, I don't know how to play. I I I don't know how to. <laughs> I I don't know how to do all of that. I just uh, you know you just kind of go for it and and I. That's what I guess. That's what I mean. The, the the scene called for such an extreme amount of 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 falling apart that um, that it would that it was difficult. It was exhausting, and and um, it left me in such an incredibly dark hole. And by the end of the day, um, I was glad it was over. And and Michael. Clark Duncan was just the sweetest man in the world. You wouldn't, you couldn't hit him if you wanted to. Right. You know? Right. Right. Um, and the two babies that he's holding are, are plastic. You know, they're, they're fake. Right. Children. Um, but, um, I don't know. Frank is, Frank's, Frank's amazing that way. Can you, uh, can, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, uh-huh. can you, when you, and I have a few more questions. Thank you for giving me all this time. Um, yeah. can, can you sense the power of Shawshank and Green Mile while you're making it? Because you have an extensive filmography filled with so many things we're not talking about. But can you sense there's something that's just a little bit different about these two movies? 
while you, yeah. while you're filming, while, while you're making it. I think so. Um, I, like I said, when we were filming Shawshank, I think we all knew it was a good story. It was a strong, it was a strong story, but um, nobody could have guessed that it was going to land the way it does, the way it did. That people would make it there, you know. I've had people come up and thank me. It saved, you know, when their father was sick with cancer, they would watch it, you know, every week they'd get together and watch it and what people get out of it um, is greater than the sum of its parts. Right. You know? um, which I, which I'm, I'm thrilled about. I mean, I'm really proud of them. It's, you can, you can spend an entire career and never make a movie that's as, you know, yeah it's as good as that um and and i think people kill me if i don't ask you this so so in 91 you play death in your phenomenal (laughs) such a wonderful movie were you surprised to get because for those of you listening you know bill ted comes back august 2020 it looks like right now um you're in that were you surprised to get the call back again they're saying hey we're doing this one more time was that something that caught you off guard no, they, they. We had been. I'd been talking to Alex and 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 Ed Alex, Solomon. Alex Winter, you mean? Alex Winter yep, and Ed yep. Solomon, who wrote it, and uh, Chris Matheson, and they'd been saying, you know, we're we're trying for years, for years. Um, we're, you know, we're trying to get it launched over here, and we're trying to get it launched over there, and it took, uh, you know, and we're writing it. We're writing in death. Would you be interested in doing it again? And of, of course. Um, of course I, I had, I had a fantastic time. <laughs> um, I don't get a chance to be funny, uh, all that often on film. And like when I came to Hollywood, I did like three villains in a row and, um, and, and then Bill and Ted came along and I got a chance to be genuinely silly, genuinely <laughs> fun, funny and funny is, um, uh, I don't know. It's funny is very satisfying in a different way. You know, I just love, I love to be able to inject the hue like I did in Shawshank, you know, bringing, bringing some of the, uh, some humor and some, some humor to it. Um, and here was this crazy death character who starts out really scary. And, and as soon as he's challenged to, a game of battleship. He's as soon as, <laughs> as soon as as soon as he starts to lose, he he just crumbles. He's like, you know, is becomes petulant. He's a sore loser. He's, um, you know, best to throw out of three. You must play me again. Is he, he, you know, he just starts to lose it, and and until he's finally devastated, loses it at all of these different games. And then humiliated when he goes to heaven and has to wear a dress, <laughs> and they melvined me. He goes on this wonderful journey, um, and by the end, he's a member of the Wild Stallions band, and he's caught the showbiz bug. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like I just saw this wonderful arc for the guy, and 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 went with it. So yeah, I was really. I was really, I was really glad that movie came along, and that, um, and then thirty years later, you know, to to get to get to visit this character again. And I have to say, August twenty first. I hope it's a 
I, people, it's so anticipated. People are looking forward to it so oh, much. Big time. That, that might be an understatement. People are like dying to see this, you know? No, I, it's, I'm, uh, well, I am too. <laughs> <laughs> I, think it, I think it'll be swell. It was great fun. It was great fun to get together with the guys again and revisit because they pick up, uh, they, they pick up where they left off. I mean, the intervening years, uh, they talk about, um, but they, but, but, uh, death is, st- <laughs> death, death is still this petulant, uh, you know, delicate ego. Um, and as soon as I put the robes on again and the funny accent, the Czechoslovakian accent, um, he just inhabited me again. And, um, like he did the first time it was like, it, it was like, I'd never stopped. And it's got to be so, I mean, because you have a great sense of humor. It's got to be so, I mean, we talk about polar opposite scenes, you know, between the Green Mile scene we just talked about and this. It's got to be kind of, I don't want to say refreshing, because I'm sure actors enjoy, especially you, going through the spectrum of emotions. But it it must be a nice change-up to have a movie like this, an iconic character like Death in this. It's As an actor, it must be fun to have a part like this every once in a while. Oh, it's it's superb. I don't know. If I had to be... If I had to be these like chisel jawed, you know, steely eyed murderers my whole career, I, I really would have felt part of me was wasted because um, I I just have this sense of humor, you know. There's a film coming out that you need to watch out for. It comes out on Valentine's Day. Okay. Called v, VFW. Veterans oh, of Forum. Yeah, I read about that. You're, yes, okay. Yeah. And it's this. Grindhouse, John Carpenter style, bloody, um, dusk till dawn sort of movie. It's a siege movie, and um, but the, and and Joe Bagos, who directed it, uh, he does a genius job. It's shot on film. It's all of the special effects are practicals. Um, it's getting phenomenal. Um, reviews the people that have seen it at the festivals and things so far but it opens on uh valentine's day where you play walter reed and the the the, the, the great stephen lang is also in this martin the cove great, what a cast yeah. marty cove um well yeah well what they did was they sort of got together all of these old 90s kick badasses and made us the 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 Vietnam vets who sit in this Viet, this VFW post and um, and that comes under attack and we have to fight our way out. We have to like you know improvise weapons and what have you. But what happened was this that particular group of actors. We've all worked together at one time. Worked with, I've worked with all of them um, either on stage in New York or in films. Uh, it was like old home week. We all knew each other. Right. And we all, and there was so much love and respect for each other that, uh, it just slopped over onto the screen. It looks like, it, it looks like this bunch of guys who know and love each other who've come under attack. And there's just, just like this wonderful camaraderie, uh, and humor and, you know, that you can't manufacture. It's another one of those ensemble movies um, and again, I bring, you know, um, Walter is, Walter is funny. I make him not the brightest bulb on the, 
<laughs> in the sign. He, but <laughs> which makes him very funny. No, this is one of those and movies I feel like people gravitate to. You know, just reading yeah. and looking at. It. Yeah, I was looking at it last night a bit too. Yeah, I mean, it's got a release date right now of February fourteenth, twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Um, so if you if you know, it's perfect date movie too. If your date likes, you know, killing mutant punks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And this is one of those fun movies. I feel like that people will love to just just bury themselves for an, for an hour and a half in a theater. You know, yes. Bring the popcorn. Yeah. Don't. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You gave me an hour of your time. I'm, I'm so, you know, grateful you came on. And, you know, I, I, I'm i just so blown away. And, and, yeah, nothing but love and success in the future, William. I thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's been terrific.